Welcome to church this weekend. So glad you are here with us. And as you are sitting down, I just want to welcome you to a new series that we begin today. It's called this. It's called Less is More. It's the life and message of John the Baptist. We're going to be taking, Lord willing, from now until Christmas, right to Christmas Eve. We're going to be studying the life, ministry, and message of John the Baptist. And just as we get into that, I just want you to look at our series graphic here as a way of introduction. You will notice the greater than symbol is seemingly in the wrong direction. That's on purpose, okay? Because less really is more. Now, if you ask the world, actually I saw a commercial, I heard a commercial, I think it was recently, and I heard the phrase, less isn't more, more is more. And that's the way the world thinks. Of course, that kind of makes sense, right? I think it was in terms of money or something like that. More is more, right? But in God's economy, less is more. In God's theology, less is more. It's so counterintuitive. It's the opposite of how the world thinks, right? So, but think about it. Jesus says, the last shall be first. Less is more. Uh, Jesus talks about when we are weak, we are actually strong. Less is more. Uh, Jesus tells us, and we understand is that those who are despised are actually those are the ones who will be recognized. Less is more. Jesus tells us that the humble are those who are exalted, and those who exalt themselves will be humbled. In God's economy, in God's theology, less is more. Now what we find here is that if there's one message that comes from the life and ministry of John the Baptist, it's this. It's, he proclaims really the verse that summarizes his life. I must decrease, Jesus Christ must increase. Why? Because less is more. The more we decrease and the more Christ increases within our lives, the more we actually find out what life is really about. So that is why I've been excited for this series when the idea first came this past summer. I remember being excited about it then and I'm excited about it now. Again, it's hard to believe we're here already. Some might practically, from a biblical standpoint, say, well, why would we be excited about the series on John the Baptist? We don't even know much about John the Baptist. Well, we know enough. But if you looked at the Bible and you looked at the character of John the Baptist, some would call him a crazy man. Many would call him a strange man. Be fair to say he was a lonely man, or at least he was a loner. After all, it was this John the Baptist who lived in the wilderness his clothing was camel's hair and a leather belt, and his diet consisted of locusts and wild honey. Interesting. He was the kind of guy that seemingly out of nowhere, he would just appear, and he would begin to speak truth for all who were there, and for all who were willing to listen or not willing to listen. It didn't seem to matter. This is just what he did. He was the kind of guy that would seem to show up unannounced and be very strange again socially. Here's what one guy said about John the Baptist, he said this, I like this a lot, this amuses me, but also I think it's pretty accurate based on scripture. John the Baptist was like an under-socialized relative. You have one of those in your family? Maybe you are that person in your family, right? Who shows up unannounced and unexpected at the holidays and at other social functions, and here it is, and embarrasses everyone. You know one of those people? Again, again, maybe we are that person here right now. But this is really who John the Baptist was like. Looked strange, talked strange, acted strange, and just showed up and, and just kind of blew true through the setting again for all who were there. It's quite amazing. But man, this John the Baptist, he was a man who had tremendous, tremendous purpose. 
And we're going to see much all the strange kind of parts of him. We're excited for this series because when you look at his life, I mean, from start to finish, he had one purpose for his life. And so let's just kind of summarize it this way then, okay? So John the Baptist, and we're going to see this throughout this series, uh, from the womb, his joy was Christ. We'll see that today. I mean, that's, that's nothing short of supernatural and remarkable. I mean, literally from the womb of his mother Elizabeth, his joy was Christ. His greatest purpose was being a messenger of Christ. We'll see that today too. That was the whole purpose of why God had caused him to be born, to be a messenger for his son, Jesus Christ. His main sermon, you could argue, his only sermon was the arrival of Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We'll see that today. His greatest goal was the exaltation of Christ. Again, John 3.30, I must decrease, he, Christ, must increase. This is all he wanted. So you take all of this, and here's the whole point of this series. This is where we're going. This is why it's going to be tough, and this is why it's going to be great. The less John the Baptist became, the more he began to live. The less he became, the more he lived. Question, do you do I, do we believe this to be true for our lives? That the less we become, the more we actually start to live. Do we believe that? You know, one of the things that we're good at is we can say the right thing and speak our Christianese. We know what to say. A lot of us have grown up in certain settings where we understand the answers that the parents and others are looking for. So we're not looking for Christianese during this series. We're looking for sincere hearts and authentic movements in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we fundamentally and theologically believe that as I decrease, I actually start to experience more of the life that the Lord would have for me? I suggest to you we can say, yeah, yeah, I believe that, but the reality is the lives that we live might say otherwise. That's why we're all challenged during this series. It's going to be good, but it's going to be hard. What I love about John the Baptist, we're going to see this, as much as he was an incredible example, humanly speaking, of a life we should model ourselves after, he was not perfect. Uh, John had struggles. We're going to see that within this series. John had doubts. Uh, John the Baptist was human. He also struggled with sin, and all God's people said, Actually, all God's people said, yay, John the Baptist was a sinner just like me and you. We're so thankful that God's word is filled with people who struggle like us. And all God's people said, yay, we're excited for this, right? Because we relate. If all we saw in front of us was perfect examples, we'd be so depressed. We could never be that way. But John the Baptist, as much as he had strength, he also had weakness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. But in the end, he had purpose, massive purpose. And we want to join him in this purpose. And I was thinking, too, what a great time of year to start this series as Christmas is approaching. Because if you think about what Christmas is, Christmas in its purest form, okay? I'm, I love Christmas. I pray for the right reasons. The theology of Christmas says Christ is coming. The announcement of the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest. And peace upon earth on whom with God is pleased. Jesus Christ is coming. So Christmas in its purest form is the annunciation that Jesus Christ the Lord has come. And John the Baptist had everything to do with that as well. 
I mean, born a few months apart and their moms were cousins and the whole purpose of John's life was to point to the life of Jesus. And so it's such a wonderful time to move towards Christmas and to see these things coming together. But as I've said a couple of times already, let me say it again so clearly. I do have to warn you though, this series is going to hurt. I mean, today's an introductory message, so it's, we're entering into it, you know, with some kind of it's going to be gentle, but then as we go on, it's going, to, it's going to start to hurt. But God tears us that he might heal us. And because the path of actually decreasing, it's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. You know, sometimes Jesus says we're called to walk the narrow path, and I think there's a narrow path within the narrow path sometimes. To become less is to see the reality of what it really means to live. So let's begin. Luke chapter 1, verse 12. If you're not there already, please open your Bibles. Luke chapter 1, verse 12. Read our text and we'll jump in. I'm not sure if you're like me, but you, you, you welcome the Christmas season for the glory of the theology and some of you are like, Christmas, it's like November 19th. What are we talking about right now? Well, I'm praying you will start to get more in the right theological mood of what's coming. In this passage, this will help you a little bit too, all right? Luke 1, verse 12. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, saw who Gabriel the angel, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Why? For your prayer has been heard. Isn't that theology right there just awesome? Loved ones, did you know why? I can't get away from prayer in my life. I just want to come back. It's the, such a battle to keep praying. But just like, look what just said right there. Your prayer has been heard. By who? By the Lord. When you pray, do you believe that God is listening? Is it just a rote kind of prayer? You're just sitting there and you're just speaking some, again, Christianese, but you don't realize, wait, wait, when I pray, it's actually being offered as incense to the Lord and the God of the universe hears? He does hear. Your prayer has been heard, notice, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Favor of God, the grace of God, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Why? For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, notice, even from his mother's womb. And here's his ministry. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Why? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient of the wisdom of the just. To the wisdom of the just. Notice, notice. His life summarized really in this last sentence. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Let's jump in. Point number one. We see this. The prophet announced. Listen. The prophet is announced. Listen. Now as we come to Luke chapter 1, we need context. Why? Context can be so powerful because it allows us to appreciate further the truth that is presented to us. Now what we need to understand is that John's birth, I mean think of this, John's birth, not just Jesus' birth, John's birth was prophesied 700 years before John was even born. 700 years, the birth of John the Baptist. Where do we get that from? We get that from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight 
in the desert a highway for our God. This is speaking of John the Baptist 700 years before he was born. How do we know that? Matthew chapter 3, take a look on the screen here as well. Matthew 3 says this, in those days, John the Baptist, clear, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, clear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, this is pretty clear, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Again, to understand that John's very birth prophesied 700 years before he was born. I mean, just think about that for a second. Think of the unity of the Bible again. Just stop long enough and just consider Isaiah 700 years before John is born, predicted exactly and precisely. Luke now records, we understand again, Matthew records John the Baptist and his life. The unity of the Bible, listen, the sovereign plan of God Who's in charge? God is in charge. Notice, notice, God's plan, exactly in God's timing, and exactly in God's way. Because God does exactly as he decides, and exactly as he allows, and exactly as he chooses to. Our God is sovereign, absolutely, precisely sovereign over the history of the world and the entire universe, right down to the details of this child that would be born, his name given by God himself at the exact time to achieve God's purposes and glory. Loved ones, our faith is to be, is to be in God, no one else, nothing else. No one else can care for us the way God does. There's no one else who has this control and this sovereignty. It's the Lord. It's proven to us in this amazing way here, here in Luke chapter 1 again. More context. Before John's birth, there was 400 years of silence between the last prophet of the Old Testament, Old Covenant, Malachi, and then the arrival of John, the next prophet of God. It's in Malachi, again, more unity of the Bible, more amazing sovereignty of God. In Malachi, it refers to John the Baptist as God's messenger, chapter 3. And it refers to John the Baptist as God's prophet, chapter 4. So think about it then. 400 years of silence. All the prophecies that have been made, all the anticipation. Again, put yourself in the context of Zechariah and Elizabeth. The waiting, the Jewish people, the expectation, the longing, the generation after generation that has gone on. And then all of a sudden, here comes the announcement, starting in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 11. Take a look. All the waiting, all the anticipation, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord. Here we go, here we go, here we go. Christmas is beginning now. Here we go. This is the beginning of the announcing that the Messiah is going to come. And it starts with John the Baptist. 400 years of silence, 700 years of prophecy, thousands of years of anticipation, all leading to this moment. An angel appears standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And to Zechariah, he's troubled, he's afraid. Notice the angel says, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son Notice, and you shall call his name John. Call his name John. Now, I love this so much. We know from God's word that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were an old man married to an old woman. They had some hurt in their lives. Well, how do we know this? Look at verse 6 of chapter 1. And they were both, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Okay, so if you're... 
a Jewish person in, their, in, in, in this context, and you are walking blamelessly, and you are righteous before God, if there's one prayer that you want answered, it's the Messiah to come. If there's one longing you have as someone seeking the consolation of Israel, you are desperately longing for the Messiah to appear. I mean, this is the greatest desire of those, again, who are in this place and at this time. It's just like for us. The greatest desire for us as people living today under the new covenant is the second coming, the second advent, the return of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Right? We long for the day when he appears and all this garbage is dealt with and all the sin and all the strife and all the anger and the pain and the hurt and the cancer and the death, it's all gone. Well, in some form, in some way, this is the reality of this context too. Longing for the hope, the light. Longing for the chosen one to appear. Notice verse 7. The Bible tells us, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. What are we learning here? Zechariah, old man. Elizabeth, old woman. No child. Brought reproach upon them in that culture. We learn that from Luke chapter 1 as well. After John is given to them, uh, Elizabeth says, my reproach has been taken away. I'm no longer barren. They're desiring a child. They desperately want to see the Messiah. Notice this. Notice this then. In one statement by the angel, their two greatest prayers are answered. The angel says... And you will bear a son, and you shall call his name John, and he will be great before the Lord. I mean, think about that. Think about that. In one statement, they probably gave up on any hope that they would ever see a child. And where they were at the coming of the Messiah, we're not sure. But in one statement, the faithfulness of God is seen to them in ways they probably never imagined their mind, blown by the faithfulness, the grace, the power, the mercy, the goodness of God. Loved ones, take that truth of Zechariah and Elizabeth, put it in your life right now. What are we asking God for? What are we longing for him to do? Longing for his return, longing for him to be so gracious and kind to us as he is. But listen, the Lord will do what the Lord will do, and he will prove to be faithful as we sang today. Take that truth right now, you apply it in your life right now. You apply it as the Lord would have you apply it right now, and you understand that he can only be one thing to you, faithful. He can only be good to you. We're not the judge of how God looks and what he does. He is. He's his own interpreter. And he will prove himself to be faithful again and again and again. That's why there's no one like him. Right down to the faithfulness. Think of this. John was named before he was even conceived awesome God. And now look at verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness. Notice, you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. Why is this important? Joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. You know, I think behind this again, if you understand the context of the time of this really the beginning of the first century, which is where we are. This is when really our concept of time and the year that we're living in right now began with the birth of Christ. Awesome. But for Zechariah and Elizabeth and the Jewish people, the one commentator said it was a tumultuous time. It was a perilous age. The people of God had long left the place of peace. The political climate was thick with corruption. Darkness was everywhere. The rule of Herod was cruel and sinister and oppressive. The state of religion was plush with legalism and devoid of heart. 
again, itself corrupt and riddled with deception. The poor classes were being taxed to exhaustion. The taxes spent on the lavish creations of, and palaces of Herod. The power of Rome was growing with every single day, and the entire Jewish climate was being squeezed on every level. Tough, tough time to live as the Jewish people. With those genuinely seeking what the Lord will do and what he would bring, it was a very, very difficult time to hang on to this faith. So just imagine then, as you are a faithful Jewish person seeking the consolation of Israel, and you're longing for the glory among the Jewish faithful, you are longing for the arrival of Messiah because he's the one that will solve the issues and the problems that you face. He is the one who will answer your greatest needs. Imagine some of the prayers that would rise up from God's people. Have you forgotten us, O Lord? Shine your light upon us, O God. Where are you, O Lord? But isn't it so true, loved ones? Listen to this. This is such an important principle for right here in Luke 1 and for our day today. Isn't it so true that the darkest hour precedes the dawn? Isn't it so true that the wilderness is the way to Canaan? God's people had to travel through the desert to get to the promised land. Isn't it so true that so often the darkest time of our lives is preparing us for the light and the glory of Jesus Christ to shine in a way we've never seen before? That is true here in Luke 1. And think of the day and time we live in right now. So dark. So many living without hope. No answers. And yet could it be, and Lord we pray would be, that truly the darkest hour precedes the dawn, and yes, the wilderness is the way to Canaan. I mean, who's that for right now? The anticipation then is massive in our context. And listen, listen, you got to see this, right? This isn't just a nice story, Angel Gabriel appearing and Zechariah, oh, we get to have a child. No, no, no. Listen, this anticipation of the Messiah is first announced and first realized through the birth of John the Baptist. This is where it begins. The whole entire world changes as it's initiated through the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist is the one who is the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world, who comes to live and die for our sins and be raised from the dead. It begins with John the Baptist. He comes to announce, prepare ye the way of the Lord. So everything, all of history is turned in this moment. With the beginning of Gabriel saying, and you shall bear a son, and his name will be called John. See, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Sometimes we get so impatient. Sometimes we make God be based on our concept of time. But a day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Oh, the call to be faithful. Listen, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Number one, the prophet was announced. Listen, number two. The prophet of power now, look. The prophet of power, look. Verse 15. The angel continues, Gabriel says, and he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now notice right away, he will be great before the Lord. Loved ones, question, is there any other greatness that matters? 
He will be great before the Lord. Who are we trying to be great before? Seriously, who are we trying to be great before? God or man? The Lord or people? It's amazing how much effort we try to be great before other humans. We're trying to impress and be great before friends and peers and bosses and employers and family members and neighbors, colleagues, one another. We're trying to be great before and impress our girlfriends and boyfriends. I'm so glad I'm past that. I mean, women, women, think about it, women. How much time do you spend dressing up, trying to be great before other women? It was a marvel to me when I kind of first realized that women dress up more for other women than they do for their husband or whoever. What is that about? Well, if it's not checked in the right way, it's vanity. The effort we put into, and by we I mean women, the effort (laughs) we put into, don't worry men, your turn's coming. The effort we put into seeking to be great to impress humans, but where's the greatest before the Lord? And man, the world that we live in, this obsessed culture of trying to impress, impress with looks, impress with clothes, impress with cars, impressed with money, impressed with jobs, impressed with status, impressed with achievement, impressed with intellect, impressed with, what is that all rooted in? Almost all the time it's rooted in you be impressed with me, and it's all horizontal. There's a form of greatness which just is a puff of smoke. Oh, here's John though. And he will be great before the Lord. And again, is there any other greatness that matters? The answer is no. Oh, to have our identity found in him and our greatness before him. This is John the Baptist. Notice, notice what greatness looks like. I'll explain after I read this. Notice verse 15. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. Now, why is that there? It's most certainly a reference from number 6, verse 3, referring to the Nazarite who is consecrated to the ways of the Lord. They took a vow of their life was separate from. They were set apart for significance in the things of the Lord. John the Baptist, before he was born, he was already separated for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's greatness. His life would look different. He was, again, set apart for the purposes of Jesus Christ. This is what greatness looked like to him. He wasn't like other people. He must not uh, drink wine or strong drink. He's, he's different. He's focused on the things of Christ. But again, John the Baptist, praise the Lord for him. There's only one of John the Baptist. But in one sense, we're all called to this as New Testament, New Covenant believers. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. What's the mercies of God? The gospel. I appeal to you, therefore, by the gospel. Why the gospel? Because in Christ and the gospel, everything changes. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, what's the problem with a living sacrifice? Think, a sacrifice is placed on an altar. The problem with a living sacrifice, it keeps wanting to crawl off because it's alive. 
I appeal to you there by the gospel. You've been born again and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. All your sin has been paid for. Present your body as a living sacrifice. Be set apart. Be different, holy, and acceptable to God. For this is your spiritual worship. This is our worship. Set apart, consecrated for the things of the Lord. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. I mean, this is what it comes. This is greatness. This is greatness the Holy Spirit fills. This is greatness that brings glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the greatness of the broken and contrite spirit desiring so much to have their life count for the Lord. Let me ask you right now, I mean, where are we in terms of human greatness versus the greatness that the Lord honors? What needs to change in our lives? What do we need to be separated from right now to pursue more greatness in the Lord Jesus Christ? I appeal to you. As my heart is being appealed to in this moment right now, what needs to go? And you will not have strong drink or wine. How much time are we spending in Netflix? Probably too much separated from for the purposes of Christ. How much time are we spending on social media? Almost certainly too much. How much time are we spending thinking about money and things of the earth? Probably too much. How much time are we so focused on the gathering of, of, of self-acclaim and, 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 and friendship that can be good, but at the end, if that's all we're focusing on in Jesus Christ is an afterthought, we need to be separated from this. How much time are we spending on certain hobbies Sporting activities, whatever it might be, it's it's consuming us. It's too much. We won't see greatness in the Lord if that's all our lives consist of. Separated from then the pursuit and the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are our gifts being used? Is our adoration truly in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we giving to the kingdom of the gospel? Are we allowing our understanding that we have one life to live and we are called to be set apart again for the reasons where the Lord gets the most glory from us? Look also in verse 15. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. What? What? No way. That's awesome. Here we see the prophet of power. Listen, literally from the womb. This is remarkable to me, okay? If you're not in the Christmas spirit, we're getting there bit by bit. Luke 1, verse 39. Check this out. Luke 1, verse 39. This encourages me greatly. Should have to turn one page, if one page at all. Luke 1, 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. Why? Because she was pregnant with Jesus. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin... Listen to this. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Are you kidding me? And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Beautiful. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Oh, wow. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for Joy. Really? I mean, think about this. Think about this. John the Baptist, 
leaping for joy in the womb at the sound of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Isn't that true greatness? The, the delight and utter joy of life in Jesus Christ. Again, again, think about it. Think about it. Jesus is in the womb of Mary. John is in the womb of Elizabeth. And John leaps for joy over the reality of the presence of Jesus. I mean, seriously? That is awesome. You have two women who are nobody in their world. Nobody. No one knows what's happening. Two women gathering together and four people in this room. Jesus in Mary's room. John in Elizabeth's room. Mary talks. John senses that it's the voice of the mother, the Lord Jesus, in her womb. John leaps for joy in the womb of Elizabeth. And all the while, God the Father is smiling down about all that's taking place. That's incredible. And by the way, loved ones, if there's ever a case for the sanctity of life and against abortion, it's right here. It's right here. The sanctity of life in the womb of a mother. A baby leaping for joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb of his mother. The Holy Spirit filling his messenger from the womb, which would indicate the power that he would rest in throughout his life. The prophet announced, listen, the prophet of power, look. Third point, final point. The prophet of preparation now, live. The prophet of preparation, live. Look at verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, this is... This is so significant. There, there, there are two main ways that John the Baptist is going to be used in his ministry. Number one is this. He will go before the Lord. Okay, so verse 17, the angel says, Gabriel says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. The New American Translation translates that as um, he will go as a forerunner before Christ. John the Baptist is a forerunner. Now consider the privilege of that calling. John the Baptist is out front. By a few months, he's out front of Jesus and his whole life and ministry will be like, here comes the Lamb of God. Here comes the Lamb of God. Behold, behold, again, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the calling upon his life. Notice how he will do that. The angel says he will go in the spirit and power of Elijah. Why is that important? Think of Elijah. Elijah, most, most cases, Elijah, fearless, so bold. In the face of opposition, he doesn't care, man. He's by himself. He's just bringing the truth. He's exalting the Lord. This is who John the Baptist will be also. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, again, confirms this. John the Baptist, I will send you Elijah. This is confirmed again by Jesus in Matthew 11. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Speaking of John the Baptist, he will turn the hearts of fathers to the children, right here in Luke 1, and the hearts of children to their fathers. So, so John the Baptist will come, he will go before the Lord, and he will go in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He knows what he's supposed to do. He does it with a fearless sense in the fear of God, not the fear of man. It's the Sadducees and the Pharisees that come up to John in Matthew chapter 3, and he looks at them. The first thing he says as a greeting for the morning is, you brood of vipers. 
Who told you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Who does that? John the Baptist does that. He's that crazy kind of relative that shows up and does crazy things, right? And he says these things because he's operating in the spirit of the Lord. And notice here at the end of verse 17, right? It says this, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's awesome. John the Baptist, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming, get ready. The Son of God is coming. Repent, repent, prepare yourself. Repent of your sins. Get yourself in the proper place that you may have eyes of faith and a longing heart to receive the reality of the light that is offered to you in Jesus Christ. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was the one sent as a forerunner to prepare for the first advent, the first coming of Jesus Christ. Loved ones, think about us. The whole reason this church is here right now We are called to prepare people for the second coming of Jesus Christ. The whole reason we are here in one way or another, preaching the gospel, trying to love in the power of the Holy Spirit, the whole reason that this church exists is to make people ready because any time now Jesus Christ is going to return, the moment he returns, it's too late. It's too late. So as much as we can, maybe you're here right now and you're not ready. You're not prepared. Your lamp is not burning. Your heart has not been saved by Jesus Christ. Your sins are not forgiven. I implore you. I mean, the whole point we're here is give your life to Jesus Christ and you be ready that your lamp then would be burning, that you would not be falling asleep, that when the trumpet sounds and Jesus Christ returns, you are ready to be received in glory because this is what Jesus does. This is who he is and this is what he offers. Jesus Christ the Lord. This is the whole reason we are here is to make as many people as possible prepared in the grace and love and the mercy of of God. And that way, we want to be just like John the Baptist. Notice, how did John the Baptist prepare the people? That's the rest of verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So this is so beautiful. Turning the children of Israel from their disobedience, from their self-righteousness, from their apostasy, from their rebellion. He is, he is ordained by God before he is even born. He's set apart for a ministry of seeing people reconciled, at least prepared to meet Jesus Christ and turn from sin and then to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the one that they live for. The whole point of this church, lives change for the glory of God. Lives change for the glory of God. The children of God would turn to the Lord their God, and find where life is really found. And then notice verse 17 as well. This is interesting. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Notice God's heart for families. Notice here, part of John the Baptist's ministry as proclaimed again what's going to happen in Luke chapter 1 and also what will be filled ultimately and the, and the, in the end times in Revelation 12, when uh, the power of Elijah, because there's double fulfillment there, as we learned even in our Malachi series, John the Baptist and the two witnesses in Revelation 12, I believe it is. But notice here, God's heart for the family. God's heart for the hearts of fathers and the hearts of children towards one another. Why does God care so much about the heart pertaining to the family? Well, Adrian Rogers, he put it this way. He said this, he says, As goes the West, so goes the world. As goes America, so goes the West. As goes the church, so goes America. As goes the family, so goes the church. As goes the marriage, so goes the family. And as goes the heart. Really, so goes everything else. Just just 
just look at this for a second. This is why so much we are called to the ministry of the heart. Because when the heart is right, everything else falls into place. No wonder then, in verse 17, it says, and he is coming in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts, the hearts of the fathers to the children. This is what the Lord does. Reconciliation, restoration, grace. Notice that term there, the disobedient. That, 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 that refers to the hard-hearted. It refers to those who are so stubborn. It refers to the obstinate. Those who only see it their way, they don't need the Lord. They're just flat-out rebellious. And their heart is so hard and made of stone. John the Baptist's ministry will see he will be used, and only the grace of God can melt the heart of stone. But when the grace of God comes, I mean, who here right now? The heart is so hard, so angry, so bitter, so unhappy, so refusing to move in any direction other than our own. That's the disobedient here. But notice to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just or the righteous. See, the wisdom of those who understand the ways of the Lord, the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the wisdom of the way of life, the wisdom of what life is really about. This is how John the Baptist will be used. This was the purpose of his life, and this is where we want to fall right in line with John the Baptist and say, God, would you make this the purpose of my life too? That I would be exalting Christ. So the purpose of John the Baptist, really the premier ambassador for Christ in history. Yet we are also called to be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to end here today with answering or asking this question and answering before the Lord. What is your purpose? What is my purpose? Right now, I just want you to think about that. What is the purpose of your life right now? Again, this is where I challenge us all. I challenge myself not to say what we think is the right answer and to spout out our Christianese. Like just in all honesty, if you really want to know the purpose of your life, I'd ask your spouse or a very close friend who knows you very well. Hun, what is the purpose of my life? Why, based on my thought life, based on my time that I use, based on the money God has entrusted me with, what is the purpose of my life? What am I going after? How am I spending this one chance I have in this life? What is the purpose of your life? Just take enough time right now to try to get a bit of a grasp on what is the answer to that question. John the Baptist knew his purpose. Here's the slide we started with. I want to end with it right here. From the womb, his joy was Christ. His purpose was a messenger of Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. His main sermon was the arrival of Christ. That should be our main sermon too. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. His greatest goal was the exaltation of Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. And therefore, the less he became, the more he lived. Again, do we believe this? Do we believe that this could be the greatest purpose we ever follow and pursue? That's purpose in the eyes of God.
That's purpose in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose I pray the Lord convinces us of here now and at this time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Just asking you to be still where you are right now. And I pray the Lord has already started you down this path. You're not thinking about the person beside you. You're not thinking about the person you wish you were here. You're not thinking about the family member that you longed would be hearing whatever. I just, just it's, it's, it's you and me before the Lord right now. Just as us as individuals. You. Me. What needs to change in our life right now? Where has our purpose been distracted away from Jesus? and is so full of self or worldliness or accusation, the blaming of others. What idols in our lives have taken us away from the reality that we're not living really for Jesus? But today in his kindness and his love, he reminds us again that this is the great purpose of our lives, to live for you. I want to speak to the young children here right now. I want you, I don't, I don't care how young you think you are, if you heard the purpose of life in Jesus Christ, have you heard it for yourself? Don't rely on your dad's faith or your mom's faith right now. Where's your faith? Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted, child, your life to Jesus Christ? Place your faith in him today. Wait not one second more. You declare to him today, that your purpose is Jesus and you want to live for him and him alone. You give your life to Jesus today, child, and you see what happens. You've just signed up for the hardest life you could imagine, but the greatest life you've ever imagined resulting in glory with Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus does and this is who he is. What sin needs to be repented of What unforgiveness needs to be handed over to Jesus? What part of our lifestyle needs to change? Holy Spirit, speak as I know you are. Remember, He is so loving, He is inexhaustible in grace and kindness, He never runs out of mercy. And his whole motivation is perfect love. His ways are right. Our ways are not. So Lord Jesus, I pray. And I beg you that in your grace and mercy, we would decrease that Jesus Christ would become more and more and then more of life is lived in you. Please, Lord, use this song, use this time to reinforce this truth. In Jesus' name.